This episode of the Check Out This Record podcast is brought to you by GuitarExclusive.com. Visit now for buying guides, reviews, and more. GuitarExclusive.com. gentlemen welcome to the rock 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 and roll podcast check out this record my name is mark and with me as always my good buddy frank hey mark bonjour listeners who like playing along at home know that they can find us on spotify apple Podcasts, and amazon music or wherever you find fine podcasts that's right mark new episodes they drop to your ears well and mine too every friday and of course they're for everybody's listening pleasure. Yep. That's right. For our for our new listeners out there, this is the podcast where Frank, that's the other good-looking gentleman, and myself, that's the not-so-good-looking gentleman, uh, recommend albums for each other to rate and review. Uh, we have a wide variety of musical discussions, like in our Spotlight series, where we'll dig into a band's catalog and see what comes out the other side. That's right, Mark. Or in our verse series, we pit two albums against each other. We've done three also, and they duke it out. Here we go for total stereo domination. It's getting right. better. I promise it's getting better. There you go. Uh, be sure to check us out on Instagram uh, and our Facebook group, which we promise we'll start using. Uh, we like to drop additional content when we use it and hopefully leave you wanting you know, some of Frank's musical goodness and uh, the random nonsense you've come to expect out of me. Um, if you've got a record you want us to check out, be sure to drop us a comment wherever you find the, the program uh, because we'd love to, to listen to the records you recommend and tell you how bad it is. Um, <laughs> while you're at it, like us, subscribe, hearts, farts, ratings, reviews, whatever you can. It'll help out the show greatly. Uh, with that, Frank, I say this. How are you, my man? I'm good, my man. You know, I'm super excited for this episode and amped uh, for the top 10 that we have coming up, too. Uh, I mean, we're talking about a band here that's been around since 1979. And Mark, I personally don't think they get enough credit. Um, and I think that's a great segue for you to tell us about the band. Yeah, absolutely. My pleasure, Frank. Let's start way back in 1972 sure. when singer-slash-harmonica man uh, Huey Lewis and keyboardist Sean Hopper joined the Bay Area jazz funk band Clover. Clover. That's right. Clover recorded several albums in the 70s and in the middle of the decade transplanted themselves to Britain to become part of the UK pub rock scene which was being washed out by a little thing called the UK punk rock scene. Hmm. Without Lewis, they'd eventually become the original backing band for Elvis Costello's first album, My Name is True. Lewis also worked with Irish band Thin Lizzy, contributing harmonica to the song Baby Drive Me Crazy, recorded on stage for the Live and Dangerous album. Thin Lizzy, bassist slash vocalist slash total badass, Phil Lenat, I always worry I'm saying that wrong, uh, introduced Lewis by name during the song, which is pretty cool. Nice. Uh, the band returned to the Bay Area at the end of the 70s, leaving England behind. Um, Clover's main uh, 
competition in the Bay Area, right? Because obviously this is back when bands had rivals. Right. Uh, and in the Bay Area jazz funk scene, that band was called Sound Hole, whose members included Bill Gibson uh, on drums, saxophonist, rhythm guitarist Johnny Kula. It's a C-O-L-L-A. I'm going to assume that it's pronounced Kula. And bassist Mario Cipollina. Mario. I guarantee I said that wrong. Like Clover, Sound Hole had spent time backing the famous singer and recording artist Van Morrison. I wrote that kind of funny, and I'll be honest with you, I don't think that Clover ever backed him, but definitely uh, the guys in Sound Hole backed up uh, the, the great Van Morrison. Anyways, after getting uh, a singles contract from Phonogram Records in 1978, Huey Lewis uh, joined Hooper, Gibson, Cola, and Cipollana to form a new group, Huey Lewis and the American Express. Oh. I know. Curveball, right? Curveball. Uh, although they played gigs under this name in 1979, they recorded and released a single simply as American Express. <laughs> the single, um, you think I screwed up names before. Wait till uh, this messed up word. Exodisco, a disco version of the theme from the film Exodus. Um, I believe starring Charles and Henson. I don't know. Anyways, um, the single was largely ignored. The B side of the record, Kickback, was a song that had previously been performed live by Lewis uh, and his former band, Clover. Uh, in 1979, the band was joined by lead guitarist Chris Hayes and moved to, oh man, this is going to be a tough one. Chrysalis Records, C-H-R-Y-S-A-L-I-S. However the fuck you say that word, records. My podcast. Chrysalis, maybe, yeah. Uh, (laughs) Thanks for putting up with me, buddy. Yeah, I love it, love Uh, it. (laughs) Which occurred after their demo tapes uh, was heard by uh, Pablo Cruz, manager of Bob Brown. Uh, I'm not really sure who Bob Brown is. Uh, or Pablo Cruz, but apparently they heard it. They got this demo tape made. Bada bing, bada boom. That's how that's how the American Express single happened. Um, anyways, the record company, because I can't say the name of it, feared that American Express uh, would be uh, trademark infringement from the credit card company, so they had to change their name. I could see that. Uh, yeah. uh, later, in 1980, the band released their first studio album, a self-titled LP, Huey Lewis and the News. Uh, It went largely unnoticed. Uh, In 1982, the band released their second studio album, the self-produced Picture This. The album turned gold. Gold. uh, By the breakout success of its hit single, Frank. Do you believe in love? Right. Written by former Clover producer Mutt Lang. What a great name. Uh, Largely because of the single, the album (laughs) remained on the Billboard 200 album, for 35 weeks, Frank, at the very awesome number 13. Uh, the following singles, excuse me, the follow-up singles from Picture This, Hope You Love Me, uh, excuse me, Hope You Love Me Like You Say You Do and Working for a Living, right? We all know Working for a Living, uh, followed yeah, with limited success. Yeah. Yep. Due to the record label delays uh, on the release of their third studio album, Sport, Huey Lewis and the News. Oh, look, there it is. It flew by. 
Uh, look at that! Look at those crazy digital graphics the boys have added to the to the show. Uh, <laughs> um, so uh, Huey Lewis in the news uh, were. Uh, oh man. I totally distracted you with that. With that. <laughs> Due to the record label delays on the release of their third studio album, Sport Huey Lewis in the News was back to square one in late 1983, touring small clubs in a bus to promote the record. Eventually known as the Working for a Living Tour, the new album initially hit at number six in the U.S. when first released. However, Sport slowly became a number one hit in 1984, went multi-platinum in 1985, thanks to the band's frequent touring and a series of music videos, which received heavy MTV airplay. Four singles from the album reached the top 10 of the U.S. Hot 100. Heart and Soul reached number eight. Um, while I Want a New Drug, The Heart of Rock and Roll, and If This Is It, all reached number six, Frank. Those are some serious digits right there. Hell yeah. The album has sold over 10 million copies in the U.S. alone. I think we've caught up to the band, at least up to where we are, right? Because we're going to get into some of those singles uh, and we're going to talk about a little more. So now that we're kind of caught up with what's going on with the band now, what happens after this? Um, you know, Google it yourself. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, why, don't, why don't we start with how, how did we come into the mighty uh, presence of Huey Lewis in the news, Frank? What, why don't you tell the folks listening about your first experiences with Huey Lewis? Uh, absolutely. And, and before I get to that real quick, uh, you know, we mentioned Mutt Lang. Uh, he, you know, he produced so many albums, uh, two in particular that I know are near and dear to Mark's heart. One is um, Pyromania and Hysteria, number two by mm -hmm. Def Leppard. So those are those are there. And do you know who he was uh, married to at one time? Who's that? Janiah Twain. Oh, oh well, good for Mutt. <laughs> yeah, there you go. So. Uh, he, I mean, he's got a quite an impressive resume. Um, but if we're yeah. talking about when I first heard of Huey Lewis in the news, uh, it was the song Power of Love, which obviously mm -hmm. is part of the Back to the Future soundtrack. Uh, I had that thing on single and I would play that to no end. So 45 record player. Keep going, keep going and keep going. Uh, there's actually a VHS tape was because uh, the unfortunately the tape deteriorated of my fifth birthday. And this was one of the songs I performed along with three others that I will tell you off record as to what they were. So I'm not going to say what they were, <laughs> but, but but Power Love, he Lewis loose in the news, Back to the Future. Uh, it, it swept it swept my uh, my world uh, being a, a five year old kid. Uh, so that was my first experience with uh, Mr. Huey Lewis in the news. What about you, my man? Yeah, so um, Frank's right. You know, Power of Love was was a number one hit. Uh, Featured, as Frank mentioned, in the 1985 film classic, Back to the Future. Classic. Um, which they also recorded back in time uh, for. The Power of Love was nominated for an Academy Award. So I suppose I need to give, a, I need to go a little bit past this record to really encompass everything uh, you really need to know about Huey Lewis in the news. Um, but great stuff. For me, Frank, I, I think you're, you're spot on. It was definitely uh, for the ages that we were, it, it was uh, the power of love in Back to the Future. Yeah. And now, um, but, and now we're going to get sport on with sports. Yeah, but, but definitely uh, once that hit, I, I can only imagine the sales of sport went through the roof just because those two songs, which aren't on this album, uh, were from the same dude. And right. Just you know. ma massive exposure. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. 
So let's get into sports, Mark. And, and I think it's uh, best if you uh, take us away with the first track. That's right. This first track is a tribute to the city of Cleveland, uh, the heart of rock and roll. Yes. Uh, Still beating. What's this intro? It's like a 20 seconds of like a heart beating. <laughs> it actually, it, it took me a few listens to fi- to realize that that's what it was supposed to be. I just thought it was like some weird slow buildup. Um, that said, fucking don't ignore, ignore that. It's 20 seconds. It'll be coming on before you know it. The song still totally rocks. Uh, I love nothing more than a cool song about how cool rock and roll is. And that's all this is. Uh, the band delivers kind of a classic 50 style uh, rock and roll romp. Um, they have, uh, they could have gotten really campy with this and called it like rock and roll stomp or, you know, just something, something really kind of tacky. Um, but they kept it simple and it, it paid out in spades here as just, it, it's a timeless masterpiece. This song works on so many levels. It's not genre specific. I mean, yes, it's rock and rolly, but it really spans kind of what rock and roll means and, and it's better because of it. It's a great opening track. Yeah. A great way to kick off this album. Uh, this is the third single from the album, uh, and was the fourth top 10, uh, us hit for the band so the song of course is to remind us that although there are new styles of rock uh which which was happening in that early 1980s time frame um they still had the roots of the rock and roll from the 1950s i love how huey takes us to all these different places in the u.s to show us that um there are places that it's good but again you go back to that old rock and roll sound which is where it is in the heart Speaking of heart, we go from the heart of rock and roll to heart and soul. Um, this was actually written by Mike Chapman and Nikki Chin, which were a songwriting duo and recorded uh, the song recorded by the band a couple of years earlier, the band Exile in 1981. Uh, Huey's version uh, was the first single from sports and was nominated for a Grammy. Uh, listen, it's catchy as hell. and actually surprised me that this was a cover considering its style is something similar to Huey and the crew and what they would have penned at that time. Um, but I mean, it's still rock and track. What about, what about you, Mark? You know, if I have one gripe with this song, Frank, one you gripe. don't put two songs that basically start with the same word <laughs> after each other on a track listing. That said, uh, I like this up tempo kind of ballad. Um, it's got a great kind of pop roots to it. Uh, the keyboards are really well balanced with, with some heavier guitars that come in and out. Um, and they, they play very well back and forth off each other between the keyboards and the guitar. Uh, I think it's a really fun song um, that uh, other than the fact of where they placed it on the album or even just the title of it, it, that bothers me. But at the same time, just moving on and just looking at the song for what it is, it's a great song. Yeah, I mean, it could have been like track three or four. They just could have put it down a couple couple of slots. Right. Because it becomes that thing. The heart of rock and roll is in Cleveland. Hot and soul. Yeah, like, so it's a little too close to each other back, back to back for me. But just a fat guy with a podcast. What can I tell you? Uh, track three, Bad is Bad. I absolutely love this song. Um, you know, they just came out of the gates with this kind of stammered shuffle. Sounds a little doo on top of, uh, you know, just a really great opportunity to shift down in gears while, while doing something a little fun, keeping that tempo a little lower. You know, you get a little bit of ZZ top on there, yeah. um, but like that cool, crisp eighties ZZ top. Um, really cool. Plus we get a taste of, of Huey on the harmonica here. You heard me talk a lot about his harmonica playing. Uh, it's cause he rips dude. He, he, he is a great harmonica player. Absolutely. Uh, he, he, he rips a cool solo here. Um, 
Uh, how was he overlooked for Blues Brothers 2000, by the way? <laughs> um, unless, you know, like he saw the script and he pulled out because he knew it was garbage. I'm more willing to bet that Jim Belushi <laughs> sabotaged it so he could have a part over somebody like, because how good would Huey Lewis be in the Blues Brothers? Right? I would have loved it. Give him the Ray-Bans, throw him the hat, oh. give him a heart. He would be fantastic. He could act too. So it's not like Huey's a stranger to movies. Obviously, he was uh, in that movie uh with Gwyneth Paltrow but I mean uh I mean where he played her father and they they sung and stuff like that but I mean Huey could act dude Huey could act and uh you know this is a conscious effort this song bad is bad uh here with the doo-wop in the beginning and they're really trying to focus on those harmonies uh Huey's voice is so commanding here and I don't know why he's not in the conversation for his pipes because they are so smooth and so pleasing to the ear um what's cool about this song is it was written actually in the 70s when Lewis was working with than Lizzie, uh, which you stated earlier. So that's pretty, pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, track four, we have a massive song coming up. It's I Want a New Drug. Released oh, as, yeah, there you go. <laughs> Released as the second single uh, from the record. And it even made the Dance Club Play chart um, a signature song, of course, for the band. And Lewis wrote this very fast and leaves the interpretation of the word drug up to the listener. Uh, we get a great guitar solo here uh, as well. Now, two things to note about the song. One, mm-hmm. you know, I got to throw Weird Al in here. So his parody, I want a new duck. It's brilliant. I mean, he wants a new duck. I mean, that's that's what he's trying to say. He's a famous drug addict, Weird Al Yankovic. <laughs> and number two, Lewis uh, sued Ray Parker Jr., specifically Columbia Pictures, saying that Parker had stolen the melody um, in his famous Ghostbusters song. Uh, also, Ivan Reitman went to Huey about the song for the soundtrack first, um, but it fell through uh, for this for Ghostbusters. So I don't know if there's something going on there. They eventually mm-hmm. settled out of court. Uh, Lewis would then comment on his uh, on this in 2001 on HBO on HBO on VH1s, excuse me, uh, behind the music. And Parker would then sue Lewis for breaching confidentiality. Um, I mean, I guess, you know, uh, I guess you can make the case either way. If you listen to the songs, uh, Parker and Lewis, actually, they they like each other. Uh, so it, it said that Huey's manager was the one with the issue. So I'm sure it was coming from other places because they both seem like legit guys. And I've watched interviews where Ray Parker's like, no, we're, we're like friends and I like Huey. So um, but anyway, this song is is, is pop brilliance right here. And, it, and it's such a good song. What about you, Mark? Hey, did you hear what Ray Parker Jr. said? What did he say? Bustin' feels good. <laughs> nice. Anyways, uh, Love it. Uh, back when pop rock still implied rock and roll, yes. uh, the song is pretty straightforward musically. We get a straightforward drive on the backbeat. The guitars are doing a ton of legwork here. There's a lot of really good, great guitar work here, um, as well as the sax laying down some some rhythms uh, right along with the bass line. It's really a really well-structured song. Uh, I like the idea of this as a contemporary, uh, excuse me, a commentary about the 80s party scene and the excess that comes uh, with it uh, so that people can justify searching for a new drug um, just to kind of outdo their buddy. It's an, it's an interesting, if, if you take drug for, for what it is and you look at it in that context and certainly for when it was released, it's an interesting commentary if that's what he meant. But again, he was, he's been cool enough to be vague so that it's up to you, right? It's up to you and I, and that's, what's pretty cool. Um, yeah. It, it's just an awesome number. It's a great um, song. Great song. Yeah. Walking on a Thin Line. Um, lyrically, I adore this song. 
Um, it's a bold uh, subject to address on a pop record, uh, but it comes across, I, I think, really fantastically. If anything, uh, I would have liked for the band to build up a little bit more of that kind of old school wall of sound. It does feel a little flat in parts uh, musically. Um, and I feel like if they had been able to build a little more, do a little more crescendoing, they really would have given this uh, a lot more gravity and weight to it. I don't think people see Huey Lewis the way they see guys like Springsteen. And when it comes to talking about heavy topics like uh, veterans and homelessness and suicide and, and the, the issues that those folks deal with, I don't think a guy like Huey Lewis was getting um, quite the, not the respect, but the attention for doing it. Um, because this is, uh, it's an otherwise gorgeous song, um, you know, and it's, it's just one of those tracks that, you know, it, it's interesting to hear somebody from his point of view talk about, you know, the, the friends and family he would have had in Vietnam. It reminds me a lot of my dad's experiences and, and what he's talked about and the, the struggles with it um, that deal with, you know, spending time in combat. So it's, it's a really interesting song. I, I was really surprised to find it just kind of wow. night tucked into this record. I would have liked musically a little bit more for it. Um, but I, I think it's, it's an absolute beautiful effort. I would love to hear this on an acoustic guitar. Oh yeah, that would be great too. And and uh, I was watching this a couple of days ago live during this time frame. I mean, he of course says you know who it's for and how it goes out to them. Um, but you know, I I like how this is really one of his more serious songs about the PTSD from the point of view of a soldier who comes home from Vietnam and tries to fit in so uh, into society. Uh, makes me think of the movie First Blood uh, a mm -hmm. lot. Um, and I like everything about the song. It could be my favorite on the album um it's unconventional for the band to me in the mix of all these pop rock songs but it fits so nicely here and i think it still manages to be super hooky and maintains the core characteristics of a huey lewis tune but uh it's it's a great it's a great great tune and uh it's one you want to play loud and and i get what you're saying you kind of maybe wanted a little bit more build up to match kind of the tense the intensity of the mm -hmm. song but uh, overall it's definitely a good song yeah i'm, I'm not mad at it yeah, speaking of another good song, uh, mm -hmm. finally found a home. Uh, I think this is another one that grew on me. The more and more I listen to it, it almost has this yes, uh, yes, the band that is uh, opening riff, and it's probably one of the more rock style songs as far as structure goes. That specifically reflects the 80s in that time frame uh the verses have a cool little edge to it and again huey can pretty much i mean he could sing any boring book and i'd be hooked uh, great guitar playing <laughs> uh great clean recording uh, i i really do like this this tune a lot what about you mark yeah i agree with you on the uh the the yes the band uh comment you made in, in that they're really going for that really stretching their abilities musically when it comes to this introduction. I thought it was cool. Uh, you know, it's clear that they're trying to, to mix in something a little different so that the, the album doesn't become just kind of a monotonous blob of 80s uh, pop guitar, right? right. Frank right. understands why I sent him that text message earlier, <laughs> uh, which I think a lot of lesser bands were doing at this time. Uh, the fact that they were smart enough to mix it up, to really put in, um, you know, an intricate, you know, I don't want to call that a classic guitar part, but but a really pretty and different opening sound that led in uh, to this. I think it really worked quite nicely for them. Yeah. And I think a lot of other bands uh, weren't able to find that level of of professionalism and that that quality of songwriting. And and that's why Huey Lewis and the News have shown on, and these guys have not. Yeah. Um, anyway, uh, if this is it. Ooh.
the the news can uh, that is Huey Lewis in the news <laughs> rush uh, an eighties slash fifties hybrid uh, doo ballad that's uh, uh, like it's nobody's business. I mean this this song is perfection. You know this song. You've heard it a million times. Um, he's singing right to that one girl. Uh, you know you can you can feel it when he was in that booth. He was laser pointed on whoever this song was for. Um, and I love the idea uh, of that female voice joining in the, on the chorus as though she were there the whole time. Um, you know, as, as the, ba- the band just lays down these really clean oohs and ahs in the background, this song's beautiful, man. It is. Um, plus, the fucking song is universal, man. Everyone has had this moment. Everybody has felt these emotions. Um, it just connects to everybody. It, this song... I, I absolutely adore it, Frank. I'm just going to keep blabbering on if you know. <laughs> I mean, it was a massive hit. This is the fourth uh, fourth single from the album, and it was their fifth top 10 hit. Um, I mean, the video was uh, always cool when it would come on rotation, and you, you, they're on the beach, and you got the boardwalk for backdrops. And it's just, it's a love tune, but done so well and so catchy. And the band seems like they were having a great time with the recording of the video. I mean, there, there's nothing here we have to uncover as to what the content is about. We know what it's about, but everything is firing on all cylinders. And yeah. this is just an absolute great great right pop song and when you have this and you have a bunch of likable people like huey lewis in the news i mean you know you, people could tell tell me and mark all day long that that we're not into pop oh we are but you know <laughs> it has to meet of course yeah, our, what pop yeah exactly we right? have, has to meet our course requirements and this meets our requirements for sure oh. yeah so this is this is fantastic and on the following album happy to be stuck with you is another fantastic one too um but the next track is you crack me up uh this is more oh, this song about me and you yeah of course because mark you crack me up my man <laughs> so this is more of an 80s feel here uh i i really like the upbeat nature of the music especially the drums and with the delay on the guitar and you get the introductory uh with the with the keys going on uh, i envision many people in the 80s and their convertibles just just driving and, and blasting this tune um not you know not a ton to go over here but it, it's it's an enjoyable tune man what about you yeah you summed up uh, everything i want to say pretty perfectly there frank there's not a lot to unpack here it's just a classic 80s pop number kind of at its best i'm surprised this wasn't a single um yeah it feels like he wrote this for a you know a, a nondescript john hughes film uh, <laughs> in the hopes that it would land but it, it just never made it and whatever it's a fun it's fun tune. It, i mean it's a great little pop number that uh, like i said if you found certainly in the 80s if you found the right movie for that it would have been everywhere you're right you're right hands down totally agree um so closing track track nine uh honky punk blues this mm. i was a little surprised um mm. hugh paying tribute to to the old honky tonk bands that came before uh and that had an impact on them i like the way the band mixes different sounds together for this record so having a country blues number here mixed in with these kind of pop gems um and those those few little ballads we talked about um you know and then of course all the old school rock and roll you know it's a fun number it works for the band i think it shows a little depth and range um and maybe i kind of feel like this is uh maybe an attempt to get the band on some some more country style radio stations to have a little bit more playability um that in that direction but 
I don't know that it ever worked out. I don't know that I really care. I mean, it, it works. It's look, it's a lot better <laughs> than the red hot chili peppers, uh, end of that album. Red <laughs> hot, by, uh, um, but, but they don't, he, they don't play it as a joke. Right, right. Which is why I brought that up because they're they're being serious about it and they're they're doing it justice. It's a tribute. It's a tribute. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's where it comes from. And and you can pick up on those things. It's not a joke. Yeah, at at all. I mean, you get a cover here of the OG, and that's 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 Hank Williams. You know, one of the one of the absolute originals. Um, you know, great tribute. Uh, Listen, he was he was lost at the age of twenty nine, which is insane. Uh, we know where these guys' influences are, and they're trying to bring it all in. And I and I think that's it's a great way to close a very lighthearted album. And again, I, I like you said, Mark. I think it's a showcase for them that they could really play anything, and they want their influences to be known, which I which I get and I respect. Um, yeah, so I, I th- it's a cool way to to end an album, short album, but it's a cool way to end it for sure. Yeah. Wow, Frank. That was one heck of a trip down the old nostalgia rabbit hole. (laughs) Why don't I tell you my final thoughts on it? Would you be so kind? Mark's final thoughts. (laughs) Well, okay. But just because you asked. Sports. It's not sports. It's just sport, right? Uh, I have sports. Oh, sports. Okay. Never mind. I said it wrong earlier. Sports is far uh, more than a trip down a nostalgia rabbit hole. Um, if you want it to be, look, put on this record casual, uh, casually, and it's fun. It's lovable. It, it'll spin. You'll have a great time. Um, you know, it, it, it's going to be the, the the hits that you want to, and the, the rest will just be kind of nice filler that fits into the background. But give sports a spin in your headphones and just sit with it. Um, and the news will blow you away with their their clean and well arranged uh, party anthems. They'll keep you bopping as they transition from solo to solo and show off the craftsmanship that goes into a well-balanced and bouncing rhythm section. Um, I have a few issues with this record. Uh, The heartbeat is muddy and confusing as the record opens. But again, that's just me being a little bitch about it. Um, And I really don't like that they used Heart of Rock and Roll and Heart and Soul back-to-back on the track listing. It's a little too close together, especially considering how short these songs are. Um, I'd like a little space between them. And as Frank said, perhaps uh, bad, bad in between, you know, we can figure something out guys. Call me. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And I'd like some more flair out of the band uh, on you crack me up and a few other songs, just a little bit more oomph and a little more punch, but otherwise I really enjoyed this record. I'm giving it a a solid eight out of 10. Um, What do you think, Frank? Yeah. So first thing uh, is I, I have to say this when you were just saying that right there, Mm-hmm. And my face hit a shadow and I, I noticed how it looks like my, my mustache is more potent than everything else. And I said, God, I look horrible. Um, so I just wanted to, don't worry about I, it. I don't know, man. I, I, I shaved it too low. I shaved it too low. Anyway. What, what folks at home don't know is that Frank is one of the most frugal um, and most well thought out financial individuals you will ever meet. He's not, he's not a rich man by any means. He is, he lives within his means. Uh, and he takes care of his family with great pride. Okay. One of those things includes uh, allowing his wife to cut his hair. <laughs> um, because it's free. And I got to be honest with you, she kind of butchered you. Um, Just a little that's bit. That's why Frank's concerned about his mustache. So yeah, absolutely. If you're watching this on YouTube. I apologize. Uh, you can see that Frank is still a very handsome man. 
but in an effort to save literally ten dollars, he let his wife shave his beard. It's the Greek in me. <laughs> the Balkan, actually, the Balkans is what came people back. must listen to us and go, Jesus Christ, these two. Like I know, they- I know. Oh, so annoying. All right, so let's go on task. So final thoughts about this album. This is a super fun record. It just, listen, it brings an immense smile to my face and it embodies everything that the 80s had and that was going on. Um, But it still pays tribute to what was important and what influenced the band. Huey's voice to me is super underrated. And maybe that's because of his linking to the pop world as to why this occurs. I'm not quite too sure. Uh, This doesn't mean they, they can't crank out serious tunes though, like, walking on that thin line um but with an album like sports you could see why this band was massive in the 80s and they were getting called on for these blockbuster soundtrack tunes um it's a time capsule but you could also blast this thing and just get pure enjoyment out of it the the band themselves they really do a great job uh playing tight with each other and if you watch it live you will see the exact same uh it's a great and concise album and you could put it on and just let it play i rate it a out at 8.5 and that's because we get two covers here so i would have liked to have seen more uh originals even though heart and soul uh, i think is the best version of that song done by the news but um you know another original hero there but other than that it's a great record i'm so glad i own it and i play it very very often uh and it was super fun to to go back and review man yeah man this album was fun to listen to all week and i really did like i put it on all week in the car with me i had my boss with me in the car this week and we just listened to huey lewis and you know what everything was a little bit better see good 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 huey lewis. and i would like to point out frank and i mentioned it last year last year he released uh weather yes and that's a really cool record if you've ever went prove to me that he's not just a pop star listen to that record it's oh, a great record it is and it came up at, like out of nowhere too and you're just like what <laughs> yeah you know, we, I feel like it's time for the top 10 list. Top and 10. it's like an elephant in this room. I know. I'm so excited, dude. We really started talking about something. What was it we were going to do for the top uh, 10? Dude, I can't uh, contain myself, man. I really no. can't with this top 10 list that we have lined up here, which was your idea. I want to give you full credit. So I'm going to, I'm going to let you introduce this, but I, I can't contain myself. Um, I'm just so excited. Go ahead, Mark. Tell everyone yeah. what it's so, about. This is our, um, it's kind of a mishmash tonight because we're doing Huey Lewis and uh, Power of Love was such a big part of our childhood and obviously because Back to the Future was such a big part of our childhood. So you can't say Huey Lewis to Frank or myself without us thinking about Back to the Future. Uh. Tonight, uh, our top 10 Back to the Future moments, uh, everything from behind the scenes stuff to, to literally just moments in the movies. Um, the movie inspired a generation of uh, time travel fanatics like Frank um, and rock and rollers uh, with Marty's obsession with rock and roll. Um, so why don't we kick off uh, our list tonight um, oh. with you, Frankie? Would you be so kind as to, to do the honors? My pleasure, man. I, I can't wait. And and number 10, um, this was a hard list. I just want everyone to know it's a hard list to really take apart the universe. And I'm going to incorporate some other things, too, that I'll introduce into it shortly. Uh, it's so hard to do, but I, I narrowed it down and um amped to share with everyone so here we go top 10 i titled this i'm afraid you're too darn loud right when marty and his band the pinheads which i wonder if that's a ramones reference by the way probably right the audition for the battle of the bands and the judge says i'm afraid you're too darn loud oh that was huey lewis and the song they were performing 
was Power of Love. So since we were mentioning <laughs> Huey Lewis and obviously reviewed one of his albums and he had the soundtrack song, I feel it's fitting that that's where I begin. Uh, so that that's my uh, number 10. What about you, Mark? So for me, number 10, Frank, did you know uh, director Robert Zemeckis and writer Bob Gale originally got the idea of Back to the Future by stumbling upon one of, uh, by a high school yearbook of Gale's father uh, and wondering whether or not they would be friends with their teenage parents. Yep. Um, they developed that idea into a movie screenplay and tried to find a studio who would let them make it. They tried and tried and tried again. And actually, they, they failed miserably, Frank. Uh, the script was rejected over 40 times. Wow. That's great. Hey, man, you keep trying. As we, as we always text each other, uh, you know, Stanley created Spider-Man at 40, right? So, mm -hmm. you know, 44. 44. Sorry. So you keep trying. <laughs> uh, all right. So now you have time. So number nine is titled mm -hmm. Rejuvenation Clinic. So in part two, when uh, Doc gets Marty and they go to mm -hmm. the year, you know, a really distant year in the future called 2015, um, mm -hmm. and they're getting out of DeLorean, Doc is telling Marty that he went through an overhaul at a rejuvenation clinic and he wouldn't think that Marty would recognize him, uh, even though he looked exactly the same i mean it's a testimony to doc's bizarre personality and nobody else played that better than christopher lloyd so uh it was just ecstatic uh, it was just so funny and i was always ecstatic when this part came on because he looked the exact same but he was worried mark uh, marty wouldn't recognize him and uh yeah so that's my number nine what about you man number nine is called billy zane is a punk bitch <laughs> many people recognize billy's Zane is Match in Back to the Future, one of Biff's thugs, and know that that was his first appearance on film. But Frank, mm. did you know no. in Back to the Future 2, we get the first on-screen glimpse of a young Elijah Wood yep. playing a quote-unquote antique video game. When Marty shows off his shooting skills, eight-year-old Elijah Wood scuffs at the ancient technology. <laughs> <laughs> it is wild gunman. Oh, man. Speaking of uh, Wild Gummin, number eight is Clint Eastwood. So I love in part three when he's getting ready to go back to 1885 and he mentions Clint Eastwood and Doc says who? And Marty points to a movie poster for a film called Tarantula, which featured one of the first appearances of Mr. Clint Eastwood. So pretty funny uh, that that all ties in together. But yeah, number eight is Mr. Eastwood. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's pretty well known that Eric Schultz yes. was replaced by Michael J. Fox. But what most people don't know is that it, it cost a lot of money to make that switch. Uh, the budget had to be trimmed in order to uh, in other places in order to accommodate the switch. One of the biggest changes was made was completely removing an atomic bomb blast. <laughs> That's right. Doc and Marty were going to somehow travel to 1955 Nevada, right. the nuclear bomb test site as a source of power to get the DeLorean back to 1985. Fortunately slash unfortunately, they didn't really have the time or the money as a result of uh, Schultz's firing. We have uh, Stoles. I don't know why I call him Schultz. Um, 
Eric Stoll's firing. Uh, we have the awesome <laughs> clock tower scene we all know and love. Yeah, I don't know. Apparently, I don't like the guy from Peanuts either. I don't know. <laughs> I thought you said Scholes like Dr. Scholes. <laughs> oh, yeah. No. If you can, right? You catch those clips out there of Eric Stoltz playing Marty, and it's such a different tone. It's such. I can't such, even imagine. Yeah. It, it's such a different tone, and everything is way more serious. And uh, mm. he tried to do the whole character actor bit. But then when Michael J. Fox came on, what do you mean had- character actor about like an 18 year old kid? Like, right, right. I know. I know. Oh, man. So um, my number seven is when Marty met Doc. So I'm pulling this actually from the Back to the Future comic universe, uh, which Bob Gale uh, had a hand in, too, which is really cool. So if you ever wondered how Marty started hanging around this wild eyed Doc, well, the comic explains that. And Marty Mm -hmm. wanted to see uh, why Doc was a lunatic and broke into his lab and fascinated by all the cool stuff there. Doc finds him and he offered him a part time job. So that's kind of how they started hanging out because it's always weird. It's like, right. How did Marty and this doc just start? So he wasn't buying drugs from him? No, 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 no. And he wasn't selling drugs to him. (laughs) Well, at least, at least not according to the comic. (laughs) I'll give Bob Gail that. So number seven kind of piggybacks off of my uh, number eight. The legendary DeLorean was almost a fridge. That's right. Uh, that, I think that's where the nuclear blast came in. I think they were trying to like power the fridge into getting back to, I don't know. Anyways, Steven Spielberg uh, shot the fridge idea down and said, uh, no, let's save that for when I ruin Indiana Jones. <laughs> Frank. That's awesome. Thank you. All right. So uh, here is when a young Biff meets old Biff in part two, when old Biff steals the DeLorean and goes to 1955 to meet young Biff. Uh, I love all the interaction um, from uh, when young Biff gets in his car um, from the shop, from picking it up after being trashed in the manure to going back into his garage um, and going over the almanac. It's just a great sequence all around when uh, young Biff says to old Biff, what are you, Mr. Lonely hearts? Um, And, uh, Oh, Biff's trying to tell him about the almanac. It's just everything is so cool about that scene, and, and I absolutely love it. So, um, yeah, young Biff meeting old Biff. That makes my list. Nice. With Marty hanging out in the back of the, the, the car. That's right. Uh, so number six for me, uh, everybody knows that Crispin, Crispin Glover, on top of having a stupid name, <laughs> uh, was replaced by a dude uh in a crispin glover mask uh for the sequels because he was so impossible to work with right uh, claimed uh he wouldn't have done the movie because he didn't like the ending he felt that it, the kids came off spoiled and they should have just gotten love but they ended up with money so he was he was all like this is stupid the studio says that he just asked for way too much money and uh and shoot him out the door and replace him with just a dude wearing a mask that looked like him either way uh he was able to sue uh, the people making the motion picture for using his likeness, um, which is kind of a bummer because nobody likes when somebody sues other people, but it did make it so that the Screen Actors Guild would change their guidelines to protect uh, actors and their license likenesses, which is kind of cool because that way they just can't use a fake Frank or a Frank Mark. They've got to pay us for who we be. So Hollywood, we're here to take your money. <laughs> I love it. Love it. And anyone else who wants to spend money on us, send of us. Send us. Send us. Yeah. 
Number five is titled A Different Perspective. One of the reasons why the second movie I hold dear is because when they go back into 1955, it's a different perspective from what we saw in the first movie. I thought it was such a clever thing uh, from a screenwriter's perspective. I know they were toying around with different time periods and places to go. I think Robert Zemeckis said uh, they were talking about the 60s and you know, around that time. But then they said, why can't we just go back into the first film? Whole totally different perspective, new sequence of events. Uh, Brilliant, brilliant. So that's that's my number five. Excellent. So for me, you know, Marty leaves 1985 in the parking lot of the Twin Pines Mall. And when he returns, it's the Lone Pie Mall. It's right. A great little detail. After all, time travel, especially to the past, every detail counts. So Marty driving over that little baby pine tree when he crashes in 1955 has this at least one long-standing effect. Really cool attention to detail that I think uh, a movie not quite so sharp would have missed. Uh, certainly if there'd been a fridge, that joke. I mean, maybe it's just, it's a the one pine and one fridge mall. <laughs> Every little detail counts, right? Every little detail, Frank. Like an odd tub time machine when he throws up on the squirrel and then the squirrel shows up on the <laughs> in the game. Yeah, I mean... You're not helping your argument for time travel movies. <laughs> okay. There's not many but, to choose from, for the record. There's yeah, really not. I know. I'm sorry. <laughs> All right. Number I'm four. Really, I'm not Hollywood. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, you're going to like this one, Mark. Number four is Easy Top. I mean, they made a cam cameo in part three, and they played a hillbilly version of their song Double Back. Listen, it's ZZ Top, man. What more can you say? I remember seeing this for the first time and then coming on and just being like ecstatic. I was like, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, I can't be a pop culture reference, mom. <laughs> Pretty awesome. Another band that was just everywhere, especially at that time with Sharp Dressed Man and everything. Um, and there were special a bunch of people. And mm -hmm. uh, the fact that they made it into this trilogy is awesome. So, yeah. Yeah. So if my sports knowledge is wrong on this, Frank, correct me. But uh, Back to the Future 2 almost predicted the Cubs winning the World Series. They were off by one year, right? Because um, they, they didn't win in 2015. They won in 2016. Right. So really close. I mean, they got close. Um, I mean, it's still pretty cool. Plus, uh, when the film was released, Miami didn't have a baseball team yet. So they, they sort of predicted that yes. too, right? the Marlins uh, wouldn't make Miami their home until 93. Is that right? 93? That is so correct. Pretty interesting that, I mean, no, the Marlins or Miami didn't play them for the World Series, but the fact that they got that close. Yeah, there, there's a lot of cool They predicted that little thing. That's pretty cool. Yeah, a lot of cool things in there. First of all, they, you know, they had the whole the whole allure of the Cubs even back then not not winning, uh, which, which was pretty cool. I remember in high school in 97. The idea that they still wouldn't have won. Yeah, the idea that they still wouldn't have won and they finally win, right? Um <laughs> it's so crazy and uh what also is i remember in high school it was yeah in 97 when the marlins were about to win the world series everyone's like oh back to the future 2 predicted it it didn't but it it, it laid the foundation there for that miami team which mm -hmm. years later in the early 2000s they they would take on the cubs and and the, and the playoffs but anyway a lot of cool stuff going on there and uh it's just really it's just really really cool um 
My number three is titled Eat Lead Slackers. Uh, this is oh. Gerald and Edna Strickland. That's right, Edna. I'm going to get to her in a second. So I love the Strickland character uh, from the stern disciplinarian principal uh, that likes some of uh, grandma's old booze to the gang fighting Strickland that says Eat Lead Slackers. Um, my little one goes around the house saying that all the time, Eat Lead Slackers. <laughs> so it's just awesome. But Edna. Edna is Gerald's sister, and this is from the uh, Telltale Back to the Future game, which is basically a part four, and you can almost watch it in, in there. It's five episodes. It's pretty, pretty cool, and she's one of the main antagonists in the game. And again, Bob Gale had a had a hand in writing this, and it's pretty cool. They created a whole new character based on a family that we already know in the universe, and they took it and they ran with it. So um, that's my kind of number three Back to the Future universe moment. Very cool. Uh, for me, at number three, I was thrown off. I learned that uh, the Doc Brown we know and love wasn't going to be the Doc Brown we know and love. What? It was supposed to be John Lithgow. That's right. The Progresso Sukai. <laughs> um, the Trinity Killer. The alien dad from Third Rock. Third Rock. What was going on on that show? Uh, fortunately, uh, the filming schedule didn't work out, uh, and Lithgow... Uh, had to pass and uh, Christopher Lloyd with a little uh, elbow ribbing from his wife uh, decided he, he took the part. Um, and the, the rest, as they say, Frank is uh, time travel history. That's amazing. And, and if you think Wouldn't about that it, crazy, that would have been nuts. But if, but if you think of Christopher Lloyd and you think of what he played prior to that was, say the character Jim Ignatowski in Taxi, uh, mm -hmm. it was kind of the prelude to Christopher Lloyd um, or, or to Doc, Doc Brown. Brown. Yeah, to Doc Brown. So it was so it was so fitting for him. I, I can't imagine anybody else is, is Doc Brown. Yeah, well, especially if we're getting um, Eric Stoltz as Marty McFly. Oh my God, and, and John Lithgow. It's going gonna, it's gonna to turn into like that John Lithgow movie where he... Um, uh, becomes a transgender woman and then starts killing like oh yeah that's killing right. people for like apparently no reason uh, it would turn into that you'd be like what is this back to the future like, slasher movie i don't get it it'd be really weird man this has nothing to do with time travel <laughs> right i still want to see this movie i just want it to be that movie and then, there you go oh, look at the back to the future we know uh my number two is mm -hmm. ronald reagan the actor one of the best lines to me in the first movie is when Doc is questioning the legitimacy of Marty being from the year 1985 and asks him who's president. Marty tells him Ronald Reagan and he replies, Ronald Reagan, the actor. I, I mean, I love that. I absolutely love that line. Uh, and, it, and it's so fitting. So um, that to me is just a, a classic moment. Yeah. There's going to be a time travel movie made from now where somebody's going to go into the, the past and be like, who's the president? Donald Trump, the con. <laughs> Man, <laughs> yeah. uh, I the promise. Guy, the last political joke, I promise. The guy who tanked the USFL. <laughs> the guy Stone Cold beat up. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, number two for me is a gentleman by the name of Thomas F. Wilson. Yes, uh, he is one of those actors that's blessed or cursed, uh, depending on how you're looking at it, to be remembered by uh, a single performance or perhaps four performances. Uh, in all three movies, he appears as Biff, young and old, uh, Biff's nephew, Griff, and of course, his own descendant, uh, Buford Mad Dog Tannen in uh, the legendary part, Trey. Um, 
So unfortunately for uh, for old TF Dubs, uh, people always ask him about Back to the Future. So he started printing out answers to questions he'd get all the time and just hand them to people. Oh, that's so good. Uh, and when he started doing a stand-up back, he wrote a song based on the questions he would get. Um, and he sings the answers to them. Uh, find it on YouTube. It's, it's worth the watch. The dude's pretty solid. Um, he's also had a pretty prolific career as a, as a voice actor. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess that's when you look like Biff, you're only going to get Biff roles. The only thing to do is to move into voice acting. <laughs> it's, it's such a funny song. Uh, he, he's so honest and what's cool is you, you always have this uh, perception you know oh, he was the bully so he must really be like that no mm-hmm. like he's like a legit cool guy um, and uh, he the, the song is just so funny because it talks about all of his experiences and uh, it's a good yeah. watch I love when he says um, will you call my friend and yeah I call him a butthead on his answer machine <laughs> or my favorite is what's Crispin Glover like and he's like never talk to him <laughs> 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 or was that real manure and he's like it's a movie <laughs> oh uh, my number one oh totally totally so my number one is titled alternate 1985 and alternate 1985 doc okay so my number one moment in the whole trilogy is in part two when they return to 1985 and Biff is corrupt and Doc is explaining to Marty how the timeline skewed, creating this alternate 1985. That scene is just great because it balances the darkness as uh, with what's going on with the, and the, you have the constant rain in the background. And yet there's some lightness because uh, there's some hope that they're going to fix things. And I just love that whole sequence with Doc telling Marty, this is how we, ended up here to add to this in the comics again i'm gonna go back to the comics regular doc goes to visit the 1985 alternate doc that if you remember has been committed he's disguised as a cousin when he goes in to see himself he realizes that he's been lobotomized uh, and that's more than likely done under biff's command so it was really cool um to have that all tie in then to the comics uh and kind of disturbing too at the same time but that whole aspect is is my favorite part you know i just realized you could probably count five biffs if alternate 85 biff counts that's right there you go that's right you know i mean because he's a little different than and, than regular 1985 well and, so. and here's, i'm going to throw something else at you too there's uh, <laughs> in in that game there's a uh, kid tannin kid tannin is, mm. is biff's father uh and this is a speakeasy gangster version of Biff Tannen. Hmm, interesting. I wonder if he's uh, the best guy. My number one. Uh, Frank, do you remember that time Marty McFly invented rock and roll? Absolutely. Me too. Me too. <laughs> Did you know uh, it almost didn't happen? Do tell, my friend. Almost didn't happen. So uh, the old Chucky e. B, uh, Chuck Berry, uh, held out for what, what the kids called the big bucks. Uh, you know, the crew was ready to shoot. They had the the scene all set. Michael J. Fox learned uh, enough guitar to fake it yes, for yes. the camera. Um, but all they could do was sit back and wait for Universal uh, to find the magic number uh, to get the rights for this iconic song. Um, any guess, Frank, at what that price may have been? Hmm. I'm going to have to say 50000 bucks, Mark. <laughs> Frank, it is 50000 bucks. Oh, Frank won the game show. Yeah, can you imagine fifty thousand bucks in nineteen eighty three? Ooh, that's a spicy meatball. 
That, that is a spicy meatball, my friend. <laughs> Barry won himself a coin. Woo! What a fun movie. Oh, man. It was a fun episode all around. And uh, yeah. That, yeah, it was just cool to talk about everything that we that we talked about. I mean, I, I just uh-huh. big smiles the whole time. Big smiles. <laughs> talked about Huey Lewis. Talked about Back to the Future. You played some video games. read some comic books. Listened to some music. I'm having a good time. We are. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so, oh yeah, that's it's my turn. Yes, that's right. So, Mark, what do you want to listen to for next week? Uh, I was thinking I'd let you surprise me with a Pogues record. All right, yes, okay, so here we go. We've talked about the Pogues, well, a couple episodes ago where Bon Jovi destroyed one of their songs. Anyway, uh, we're gonna look here at their second album, <laughs> Rum Sodomy and the Lash, and I think what this is gonna intrigue uh, my good old buddy Mark about. Uh, mm-hmm. Is that this is produced by the one and only Mr. Elvis Costello. So he had a hand to play in this, which is pretty cool. I think it's a great and mature sounding record. It's not just the typical Irish Celtic folk punk. Um, You could, you could hear the foundations for what's to come with bands like horse dropkick and uh, flogging Molly. But I think this is a really, really cool listen. And that the fact that Elvis Costello was involved in it too, I think it's going to give it a little bit more of a lore to you. Uh, So I'm really cool and really excited about checking this one out. What about you, my man? Yeah. I'm looking forward to the day drinking. I mean, checking out this record, Uh, (laughs) you know, um, it's uh it's that time in the show, Frank. It is. Um, what do we say to our, our our friends and our dear listeners? Say thank you for listening. Stay safe out there, everyone. And ciao. Bye bye.